Citizens of Natstown is brought to you by the Ballpark Bus, with departure stations at Clydes and Ashburn, Glory Days in Reston and Herndon, the Green Turtle in Ballston, Sterling, and Dulles, and Velocity 5 in Centerville. When you don't want to drive to the ballpark, leave the driving to us. Take the Ballpark Bus. Visit www.ballparkbus.com for more information or on Twitter at at ballparkbus. All right. Hello, Natstown. Uh, this is the inaugural episode of Citizens of Natstown. <clears throat> uh, you got TJ Landemar here. Matthew Davila. And David Huzzard. All right. Let's, uh, let's get down to business. So first off, um, lots of changes this offseason. Um, we got the, the shipping out of four Decent prospects. I, no. uh, people like to say top prospects. I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, bring it back to Joe Gonzalez. Let's start there. Uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. <laughs> I think it's a good acquisition. I mean, he's right now a decent uh, starter. He, he's been the ace of the A's the last two seasons. Um, but he does have his flaws. He walks too many people. Uh, but that is something that there have been – Many of pitchers in their careers, especially left-handers, that have walked too many people in the beginning of their career and got it under control and gone on to be much better pitchers. I mean, you gotta like you gotta like the idea of trading away, you know. I mean, well, maybe not trading away for good prospects, uh, but you gotta like the idea of getting a left-handed pitcher with some with power, you know. I mean, so you got you now have three pitchers: one one's right-handed, one's left-handed, one's right-handed. So you got that nice little Gio Gonzalez sandwich, I guess you could say. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try not to think about it that way. But uh, I do like that that order there because uh, you have the change of, of, of for in a three game series, it's going to throw people off having to face you know 98 from Strasburg from the right side, then going and facing uh, 95 from Gio from the left side, yeah. and that vicious curveball that he has. I don't know yeah. if you've seen that thing. It is yeah. nasty. Uh, and then going back and facing Jordan Zimmerman at 95 from the right side again. Yep. And it's all different attitudes. Yeah, and I mean, you know, picking up Edwin Jackson, I got to I gotta admit, you know, when we first started talking about it, they were talking about Edwin Jackson. Then we picked him up on a one-year deal. And I'm like, I like that. I mean, you, you know, you got your ifs, ands, and buts or whatever about Edwin Jackson, but say what you will, he's he's got some fire. Now, with the <clears> – <throat> With the bringing in of Jackson, the geo acquisition, the and then the extension of him, obviously it shows we have a we have a longer term commitment with him that puts him in the same line as uh, Strasburg, uh, free agency somewhere around that area. Right. If we don't extend him, Zimmerman, uh, two ends, uh, <laughs> double N, <laughs> ZNN. We're uh, about the same area. Uh, Harper would be hitting free agency about a year later. Um, as long as he doesn't hit Super 2, we all pray. <laughs> uh, Jackson, on the other hand, 
bringing him in, does that make it the quote-unquote go-for-it year for the Nats? No. I don't think so. I don't think Jackson, Jackson's problem has always been potential versus production. His production has been of a fourth or fifth starter where he's always had the potential and stuff of a top-of-the-rotation guy, and teams just get frustrated with him, and, and then someone else always wants him because of the potential. Yeah, that's true. But he's just a one-year deal. I think if the Nats are in a race for either a wild card or the division, they're going to keep him past the trade deadline, and if not, he'll end up traded again. What What I honestly thought when it happened, I thought, well, all right, cool, another pitcher, good pitcher, you know, one-year deal, low risk. $10 million, that's a lot of money for me, you know, but in baseball, let's admit, it's really not that much. Um, and the simple fact is, to me, it, it almost kind of like, it's almost like the Nationals know the position they're in. They're like, hey, we got some good stuff going on here, you know. Um, this may not be our year, but we got these guys. It may not be our year yet, but we might get lucky at some point over the course of the year. And maybe we get lucky at the end of the year. Now, here's a question. Tommy Hansen went to the hospital with a concussion. Now, we've seen how concussions have affected baseball players in the past. Right. Uh, they don't heal. Apparently, they don't have the phone to pick up and call a football team and ask them, how do you get guys back in one week from a concussion? But aside from Tommy Hansen's concussion, he he ended the year injured. Jair mm-hmm. Jurgens yeah. injured. Looks like the Braves, if those two guys end up injured again, they're relying on a very young staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Tim Hudson. And Freddie Freeman, he may have a sophomore slump. Pastor Nicky's not proven. Uh, Hayward, who knows if he's going to bounce back. Are the Braves vulnerable in that second spot in the NL East? And I just want to, you know, kind of add on to what you're talking about. Uh, Kimbrell, I mean, he was good all last year. He was incredible, actually. But at the end of the year, he just kind of seemed to almost taper off, you know, maybe even fall off a little bit. Is that something that the Braves should worry about? I mean... Well, Venters and Kimbrell were two of the most used relievers in baseball. Yeah, I think uh, Freddie Gonzalez just overused you think so? the heck out of them. I mean, uh, he's if they end up injured this year, I think he'll be able to point back to... I, I, made, mm-hmm. I made my first ever trip to uh, Turner Field last year in September, and it was a great game. I watched Tim Hudson pitch eight innings. Just incredible. And uh, the game was one one to zero, if I recall correctly. And so eight innings of Tim Hudson, then one inning of Craig Kimbrell. And I remember I was sitting in the stands watching Craig Kimbrell pitch. He threw, it was against the Mets, he threw three pitches to David Wright. And then he threw the fourth one for the strikeout. It was two fastballs down the middle. Or well, down the middle, whatever. I can't really see it that well. But, uh, <laughs> they were, they were, you know, he was throwing some fire is what I'm saying. And then he threw one high and tight, right up the, right up in Wright's face. It's like, okay, <laughs> that wasn't, that one didn't just get away. You know, I was like, he, he commanded the, the mound, is what I'm saying. That's, it would be a shame to see him fall off, is what I'm saying, because it was, uh, it was neat to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, people always talk about, you know, your opportunities when guys get hurt. Like, you know, 
when Utley gets hurt or when, you know, Rollins or with Ryan Howard probably missing the first half of the year, you're talking about that. But wouldn't you rather just beat a team when yes. they're at their best? Yes, absolutely. And I, I've had this conversation with people before. It's like there's no there's no real joy in beating a team when they're injured. It's like, you know, when, when <laughs> this might go without saying, but, we, you know, I love it when the when the Nationals beat the Phillies, obviously. And when we do it against their best, there's, you know, no better feeling. Yeah, I mean, especially like this spring. Yeah. Doing it without Ryan Howard in the lineup. I mean, we're beating the Phillies. <clears throat> no problems with that. Right. You'd rather do it with Howard in the lineup going 0 for 4 with three strikeouts and a soft dribbler to first base. I yeah. mean, <clears throat> but I'll take wins where we can get them. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we, uh, we brought in Geo. We brought in uh, Ejax. Uh, speaking of the Phillies, Brad Lidge, shoring hmm. up the bullpen, get a get a veteran presence in there, a veteran presence that's that's won before. That's I mean, granted he has a World Series ring, he's pitched the last inning of a World Series before, um, but I mean, anything's better than getting like a. I don't want to talk bad about. Todd Coffey or Matt Katz. <laughs> I liked Matt Katz, don't course, get me wrong. But, but somebody that's been there before, somebody that's pitched even in the right. postseason before and, yeah. and been down that alley. Well, <laughs> here, here here I go. All right. Uh, the the biggest drawback to me is I don't get ma- get to make fun of Lidge anymore. And <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, I wasn't wholly disappointed uh, when the Nationals signed him, I didn't think it was a bad. Like at first, I was kind of like, "Really?" And then I thought about it, and I was like, "You know, it's actually good because who do we have in the bullpen? That's, I mean, especially since Todd Coffey left. I think he left after that. I don't really remember. He was signed. He was a free yeah, agent. Yeah, he was a free agent. But um, so, you know, before that, who it was like, going to be Henry Rodriguez. It, exactly. As, as elder statesmen go in the bullpen, who do we have? Sean Burnett. I mean, if he could get back to his form that he had in yeah, 2009, 2010, right, yeah, yeah. there's no guarantee of that. Right, and I mean, maybe his best days are behind him, you know. But I don't really think that's why the Nationals brought him in anyway, just as a, as a matter of opinion. I think it's more of a a mentor thing. And, you know, Drew Storen, he was excited about it. I think, it's, I think the guys in the bullpen like the idea of having, you know, a sounding board there that's been there before it's been around in the majors for a while and you know no one's asking Lidge to be the closer no one's even asking him to pitch the eighth inning right he's gonna be the seventh inning guy and I I still think that Henry Rodriguez is first back up to the closer right and he just yeah I agree with you there yeah especially if he can learn to control his stuff oh yeah his stuff is just it's it teases you it really does now we go and we focus on the three that we brought in, and then you, you bring up uh, Henry Rodriguez as well. <clears throat> um, is Steve McCaddy, like, do they just, do they have that much trust in him? Because Gio Gonzalez, biggest problem, walks. Right. Jackson, walks. Brad Lidge last year, walks. Right. Rodriguez, walks. I'm, I'm noticing a significant trend here. We brought mm-hmm. in three guys that also have the same issue. This is uh, This is where you get into that pitch to contact thing that ever that Steve McCaddy seems to be in love with. And I mean, it, it makes sense. 
sometimes you reduce the amount of pitches you throw, I guess. I think you just say pitch to contact to get in the pitcher's head. Because I don't think, like a pitch to contact pitcher, I think of in the same way as I do a uh, a defensive specialist in basketball. Yeah. It's another term for not very good. Right, right. Uh, a game manager. And I just, I look at, at you know, what pitch to, LeVon, pitch to contact pitch. But then when you say Strasburg's in a pitch to contact, right. Strasburg, when he's on, he could walk up to the hitter and he could say, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Then walk to back to the mound and throw the curveball, and they're not going to hit it. That's a, you know, I mean, and, and I kind of agree with that because, I mean, like, well, first off, you know, does it really matter? I mean, really? Because you just want outs. Yeah, true. So, I, whatever he's saying to him, if it's working, it's working. And, I mean, I don't think, I think as a pitching staff, at least last year, we did pretty well with not giving the free pass. I think. But like I said, I think it's just to get in the pitcher's head because people ask Verlander, what was the biggest difference to you this year in your Cy Young award winger? He said, I tried to pitch the contact more. His strikeout rate was higher than it's been in his career. <laughs> it's like, well, you were trying to pitch the contact, but you were failing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like the batters were the ones who couldn't pitch the contact. <laughs> it's like I didn't, they didn't get the memo. They're supposed yeah, to put in yeah, play. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hit that 100-mile-an-hour heater, Justin. <laughs> Try that again, will you? <clears throat> All right, so brought in a couple of pitchers. Um, I mean, we could we could really consider Adam LaRoche as a free agent acquisition because we didn't see much of him last year. Uh, a lot of hate on Adam LaRoche. <laughs> what? I, I don't understand it. I, I think most of it has to do with everybody loves Mike Morse and would like to see him at first base. But uh, oh, the thing is, uh, he's still he's still getting at bats coming out of left field. Yeah. I don't – I don't. I mean – Granted, he did hit considerably less. I I know there, people think it was the position, and I, I completely I, disagree I with that. I just don't know how that makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, it would. It, I, I'm pretty sure, okay, maybe my legs are a little bit more tired from running left to right. 10 feet, I guess. I don't know. But I feel like if you play baseball, you're in decent enough shape to uh, handle that difference. I, I just – I look at it. and Morris in 2010, at the end of 2010, when he took over for, for Willingham when he was hurt, he hit just fine in left yeah. field. And I think he'll hit just fine in left field. And LaRoche is an upgrade offensively over Lance Nix. Yeah. And he's an upgrade defensively over Morris. I mean, listen to these numbers for his career so far. Uh, going back the last, uh, we're not going to count 12 or 11, obviously, <clears throat> but uh, 2007 with Pittsburgh, we got 21 home runs, 88 RBIs, and a 272 average. 2008 with Pittsburgh, we've got 25 home runs, 85 RBI, 270. <clears throat> 2009 combined, 25 home runs. 83 RBI, 277, and in 2010 with Arizona, he's got another 25 home runs, 100 RBI, and a, a 261. That's that's not terrible. Yeah, he has a career eight something on um, OPS, right? Uh, let me look at his career real quick. 815. 815. See, that's, that's for a first baseman. Good. That's pretty much <laughs> average offense, and then he has above average defense, which makes him a Decent enough player. He's not an all-star. He's not a great player. He's an average player. But if you have a team, if you have a team of seven average players and two great players, mm -hmm. you have a good team. All right. And 
the guys that have to be the great players, Ryan Zimmerman uh-huh. and Jason Worth. Yeah. Now, and we don't even have to be – I mean, we don't need great players at every position either. I mean, look at Tampa Bay. They yeah. were a playoff team, and they had an absolute black hole at shortstop. Black hole. Yeah. Yeah, that is – you know, people uh, make comments like, you know, about shortstop for the Nationals that Ian Desmond isn't a playoff shortstop. Right. But it, Reed Bignac and Unique Betancourt were playoff shortstop. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, you don't have to ha- and have all-stars at every position. You just have to have players that are good enough to – not be a hole, not be a liability mm-hmm. at their position. Right. And if you look at the state of shortstop right now, Uni Betancourt might have been one of the worst players in the majors. Yeah. But he had a positive wins above replacement <laughs> because he's a shortstop. Right. The state of shortstop is not, you know, Cal Ripken, Miguel Tejada, <clears throat> A-Rod, Jeter anymore. Right. It's now – much, much darker. Uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a Desmond fan, straight up. I'll, I admit that. Uh, I've liked Desmond since he made his major league debut. I didn't really know much about him before. I'd heard about him, this and that, this and that. I, and maybe I'm slightly biased for that reason, but I, I think, I think he plays a good shortstop. You know, like he compared he, to Guzman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh. I mean, you know, he's got good range. He, he does. He's, he's diving all over the place. The man, the man loves to play shortstop. I mean, you watch him. Mean, he's he's a good. He's good at. There it. was one one game that I was at. It was in Pittsburgh, and there was a play where the ball hit over the second base bag. Right. It bounced over the second base bag. Desmond went to backhand it behind his back. Uh-huh. It touched his glove. And bounced off the glove into left field, and, and an they error. gave him an error. Gave him an error. Yeah. I, and I was just thinking, we call that BS where I come from. <laughs> I was just if he didn't reach the ball, he wouldn't have gotten an error. Right. But and he, how he, many? How many? How many? How many people who play shortstop reach that ball? Not very many. Right. Now, granted, we were in Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, and okay, this maybe I'm skipping a bit ahead here, but. Uh, so then people talk about Danny Espinosa playing short. And it's funny. You, you watch Espinosa play second base. And let's face it. He looks good. He looks great at second base. But every once in a while. Okay, how many errors did Espinosa have in 2011, 15, I want to uh, say? You know, we'll get to that. But in the minors, Desmond was a rangy, error-prone shortstop with a strong <laughs> arm. In the minors, Espinosa was a rangy and that's what, I'm, saying. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting to is because you watch Espinosa like a ball goes right at Espinosa, right? He goes to field it. This this happened a couple times where he goes to field it, hits his glove, pops right out, but then he picks it up, throws it to first. He's at shortstop. Same thing happens. Guess what? E six. Yep, runners safe. Uh, it's just they're basically defensively the same player, right? But offensively, Espinosa has always had more power. And that's what people are – they're looking at his offense and saying, well, that offense at shortstop is more valuable. And it uh, is. I mean, but, you, you can see you can see that Espinosa has more power just looking at – you know, looking at the way he goes about doing what he does. I mean, he had, he had 20 home runs in 2011. That's his rookie season. 
Yeah. And Espinoza, or sorry, Desmond had eight in his sophomore season, and he had 16, I want to say, in his in his rookie season. Uh, he had some. I think ten was it ten? Okay, I'm sorry. What I worry about with Espinoza, <clears throat> what's did Espinoza's sophomore slump start at the end of last year, or was that just a sign I, of things to come? I don't know. That that's the thing that gets me. I I don't. I honestly, a small part of me feels maybe he just hasn't figured out the, I guess what you call the the average swing yet. Well, I mean, well because I mean look at it and and he he called up in 2010 right 2010, and he he played second base for us. Did he play shortstop at all? A little one or two. Once you, you look at his numbers. Yeah, he, you look at his numbers. It was like 217. He had like six home runs, something like that. He didn't hit well on the average, but he, he hit with some pop kind of like Desmond in 09 when he yeah. had his major league debut. The difference between Espinosa and Desmond in their rookie seasons is Espinosa had a lower non power hitting stroke, you know, and Desmond had a fairly average one. That's the difference. Yeah, I, I, I worry about that. It's, it's like pitchers just found a way to exploit his swing. It was just they just went right after it. Let me the page. Oh, um, they, they, they just you know at the at the end of the last season you, you could just see him coming to the plate. What was it? One time he struck out you know eight times in a row or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. He, okay, so now was that <clears throat> that speaks to a couple different things. One, uh, the the sophomore slump starting a little early is is definitely an option. Um, Second, uh, fatigue. I mean, these guys coming up have never played this much baseball consecutively in their careers ever. Right. Yeah. And then third of all, uh, do we need to have Espinosa pick a side of the plate? I, you know, I don't disagree with that. He, uh, he would, he would hit home runs left-handed. He would. But you notice he looked like he was swinging a nine iron <laughs> when he would do it. And uh, he had a, a, a very weird uppercut. And, I mean, it works, I guess, but that's not sustainable on the major league level. They're going to say, "Hey, don't don't throw him a curveball." <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just I worry about that because you saw what happened with Jason Hayward. Pitchers found a right, hole in his right. swing, and they threw the ball at that location. If they find a hole in your swing, they're they going to throw it. the ball. Yeah. There until you hit. And that's play. why you always hear the make adjustments, make adjustments. You hear make adjustments. Exactly. That's up to them to know. And, you know, that's the, I mean, that's the difference between AAA and the major leagues. They have to be able to make that adjustment. What the hell that adjustment is, uh, stand a little bit more to the left in the box. Uh, stand two inches further away from home plate. I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird. But, uh, okay, hey, check this out. So, Danny Espinosa in his rookie season, triple slash line, 214, 277, 447. Okay, 214. How many games was that in the majors? That was 28 games. And then you got Ian Desmond. He played 21 games in 2009, 280, 318, 561. So, I mean, okay, so Espinosa definitely does have the, the power stroke a little bit better, like I was saying. Uh, Pretty much what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I just, you know, 
I don't know if you want to mess with it right now and create a hole where there isn't one, but if Rendon or Lombardozzi do beat out either Desmond or Espinosa in the spring training, I think it'd be very hard for Rendon to make the majors out of spring training, but Lombardozzi probably can, and he probably is either going to take one of those jobs eventually, or he's going to fall into a Zobris type of role. I think he's going to fall more into the the super utility guy that Zobrist is. Uh, Rendon, on the other hand, is a, a different topic here. Uh, should we be worried? They, when the Arizona Fall League schedule first came out, they said Rendon was going to be there. Not at the beginning, but he'd be there eventually. Right. He never showed up. Right. Obviously, they didn't want him there when his shoulder wasn't what was supposed to be. Are we worried about that? If he's playing second base, uh, maybe well, not so much. But do we really think that he would be able to either a supplant and replace them, or even play further on that side of the infield? Well, let me start that with a little joke. So everybody talks about Ryan Zimmerman being injury prone. Eh, fair enough. So why not get Rendon, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh it kills me when they talk about Zim but that way. Yeah. They're all it, it, none of them are related. Right. None of them right, are right. <laughs> people me. people don't seem to realize uh Rendon has not played a game professionally yet. <laughs> but that's that's a, a topic for a little bit later. Um well I don't I don't know that we should be worried about anything right yet. I mean he, I know he got injured in college. I don't rightly know what that injury was. Or I know he missed a while, didn't he? he? Had to have surgery and something like that. He did. He missed. Well, he didn't. He, he missed all of his junior year with mm. an ankle. Oh, okay. Uh, he was rounding first base. Yeah. For Team USA. Okay. Uh, ankle turned, twisted, gruesome things, broke. Mm. Uh, from what I know of, didn't play his junior year or most of his junior he year. He DH'd from last year. Okay, there we go. Well, <clears throat> uh, and you and know, and then this was a shoulder. Right. Was the yeah. Most recent one. Yeah. I just, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I I mean, anytime you talk about players getting injured, I mean, the who was it? Was it the Dodgers almost gave up on Jason Worth? Cause, the Dodgers did give up on Jason yeah. Worth. And that's when he went to Philly. He went to Philadelphia because he broke fan. his wrist, right? Yeah. yeah. And he was out, not he was, out, but well, he, he was, was out in and out for yeah. like two years. I mean, you know, okay, so he's a little bit older now. and I mean, he found it in Philadelphia, and you know, obviously, we're hoping to get that from him in 2012. And I don't, I don't think there's any reason to believe that that can't happen, you know. So, all right, let's see. So, <clears throat> who else on the major league club? You forgot Who's the biggest offensive acquisition, Mark DeRozan. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, right. the only offensive acquisition. Hey, we, we signed Mark Tian to a minor league deal. And we Don't also signed that. Mike Cameron. Uh, and we brought back oh, Mike Ankh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ankh the tank. Yeah. <laughs> now, aside from DeRosa, all of the rest of those were minor league deals, right? Yeah. Including Ankh Hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the Ankh Hill minor league thing is kind of a, hey, guess what? We think we still have a shot at acquiring some random center fielder. Now, so, just in case. Here's I, something. That I was just every year. There's some older player who finds it. Uh huh. And I mean, remember Jose Batista? Mm-hmm. 
he got I think he was signed to a minor league deal. I don't know if, what his deal actually was with Toronto, but I, I know that he wasn't really thought of as very good in Pittsburgh. No. He did have that time where he hit eight home runs in a row in, in games, you know, eight home runs, eight games with eight home runs. That was pretty impressive, but I think he only hit like 12 home runs that season. Mm. And it wasn't until later that he became Jose Batista. Yeah, everybody knows his name. And, you know, there's a guy on the Nationals that's shown that the flashes, like Jose Batista did, uh, Xavier Paul. I just wonder if he could be a guy that just comes out of nowhere. That'd be awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's that's definitely one. I forgot that we – he was right at the beginning of the offseason that we he was. signed him. I forgot about him. Because I think he – wasn't he on the Diamondbacks last year? I believe so. I can't speak to that, though. Hang on. I think he had a pretty good stretch at the beginning of last year. Xavier Paul. I have to admit I know very little about this guy. Yeah, I've just... heard the name. <laughs> I, I I will say I, I, I know very little. These guys just come in and go out. <laughs> oh, whatever. He was on the Pirates. I was on the Pirates. I think he did have a hot stretch there last year at some point in time. And who knows what could happen. Because you never know who these guys are. But all, after they've done it, you know. <laughs> and there's going to be one this year. And there's going to be one the year after. It's just who it is is going to be the mystery. Sure. All right. Well, we're going to take a five-minute break here. Uh, After the break, we're going to be back with uh, CSN Washington's Mark Zuckerman. Uh, We'll be right back, guys. Hello? Mark, can you hear us? Yeah, I got you now. All right. Hey, all right. <laughs> you're, you're on. Uh, you're on live with citizens of Natstown here. Thanks for. Uh, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time. Yeah, my pleasure. All right. So uh, <clears throat> let's uh, let's talk first. The the maybe news we should introduce the... ourselves first. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> uh, PJ Landermeyer here. We've got Matthew Davila. Nice to meet you. And David Hazard. All right. All right. Good so to talk to you, uh, so. First thing on the uh, on the menu is the Zimmerman contract. We've uh, we've seen a couple things going through today. Uh, the holdup is a is a no trade clause, uh, looking like six just years. Have you heard anything on that? Yeah, um, I think the no trade clause is one of the issues that they're still looking at. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily the only thing at this point. Um, you know, something to keep in mind. And, and one thing that kind of complicates all this is that Ryan Zimmerman in four more years at the end of the 2015 season is going to have 10 years of, of big league service time. And right. if he stays with the Nats, he'll have more than five years consecutive with the Nats. Sure. That gives him automatic no trade rights as any player would in baseball. So um, I think maybe on the, from the Nats perspective, they might be thinking, hey, why, you know, just stick it out. You're going to have a no trade clause anyways in there. So, maybe give us, throw us this bone for the next few years of the deal, uh, the first part of the deal, so that if something were to happen, we could do it. So there's that. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, they've been talking about this thing for over a year now, and there's all yeah. sorts of permutations to it and different ways they've gone about it. I, I think the key to take away from, from what's going on here today is that they have made some progress. Um, I think we're now at a point that you're just kind of negotiating 
smaller details. And so I do think there's a chance they could get this thing done before uh, his, dead, his self-imposed deadline of Saturday. <laughs> now, the self-imposed deadline, I mean, it doesn't mean a whole lot. He did sign his previous extension after his self-imposed deadline, did he not? Yeah, he did. That last time around in '09, he said he didn't want to let it go into the regular season. Mm -hmm. uh, and depending who you want to believe, they claim that the deal actually got done about 15 minutes before the first pitch on opening day. <laughs> it wasn't actually it wasn't actually announced until three weeks later because there were still some final details that had to be worked out. So I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, this is just me speculating now. This isn't anything I've heard officially, but I wouldn't be surprised. If by Saturday they have the basic framework of a deal put together and in place, and then it could still be a while after that as they kind of finalize everything and take the physical and uh, work out some of the contract language and things like that before we actually find out that it's done. Um, and even if they don't, even if they don't come to terms by Saturday, there's nothing to prevent them from revisiting this again. Mike Rizzo said today that he would uh, absolutely continue to talk. You know, it's not his deadline. Um you know, I, I do think something can happen. I, I think all along, both these sides have wanted to get a deal done. They, they're very cordial with each other. This has not been a, um, a acrimonious negotiation at all. Um, Ryan Zimmerman wants to be a national for the rest of his career, and obviously the Nats want to have him for the rest of his career. Uh, now, I have a question for you, Mark. Um, there's a lot of talk about this, you know, the extension, getting it done, getting it done now. Now, Zimmerman imposed this deadline by Saturday, correct? Mm -hmm. And he, But at the same time, he just said he doesn't want to talk about it during the season. So that means to me that he will talk about it next winter, if necessary. Right. And that's why, you know, again, I, I think people need to be careful not to assume, hey, if it doesn't get done by, by, by Saturday, that, oh, man, this means he's going to become a free agent, because that's not the case at all. Right. Um, the, the the tricky part of it is that most, especially prominent free agents, and, and Zim falls in that category, once you get into the final year of your contract, they tend to want to say, you know what, let me play this out and play the market and see what happens. And then you could still resign with the Nats, you could sign with someone else at that point. Right. But guys don't, if they get that close, they figure it's in my best interest to put up big numbers and then let everyone go bidding against me. So... Um, the, the window, if they if they don't get it done in the next couple of days, and if Zim really insists that he won't negotiate anything until after the season is over, now you're talking next winter mm -hmm. uh, leading up to spring training. And if it got to next spring training, then I think you're at a point where Zim is going to go play it out and become a free agent, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, okay. So kind of shifting gears a little bit. What uh, what do you think about Desmond next year? He, uh, I mean, I thought at the end of the year, 2011, he seemed to, you know, kind of click a little bit. And I, I kind of have this feeling, and it's just me, maybe, but I, I kind of feel like maybe it might be a, a make-or-break year for Desmond as far as putting it together offensively and defensively. What do you think? Um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say make-or-break, but it is an important year for him. Um you know, obviously, I, I think the, the thing the, that they're paying attention to here is that one year ago, they told him, hey, you committed 34 errors in the field. You were pretty sloppy out there. Now it's time to clean that up. And he really worked at it last year. And I know he still committed 23 right. errors, which is still a high total. Um, but seven of those came in the first month of the season. And he was worried about his uh, wife was pregnant. After he left and when his son was born, 
Uh, it was 16 errors over the last about five months of the season. So, and regardless of the error total, he played just, a, I think, a crisper and cleaner defense, didn't take as many chances, and he really worked on that. Um, the downside was that he kind of put his offensive game on the back burner while he was doing that, and he struggled. Um, he did get a lot better as the season went on, and especially when they put him in the leadoff spot the second time around late in the season. He's pretty committed this spring to working on his offensive game and becoming a better offensive player. So um, I think it's important for him. I'm not saying he's got to suddenly become a 280 hitter with right. 350 no, on base percentage or anything like that. But I, I, he can't do what he did last year. He, he, he right. can't be languishing in the 220s, 230s, and have an on-base percentage under 300. It's, it's right. got to come up from there. Um, you know. but, but he's got the support of the organization. Davey Johnson loves him. Mike Rizzo loves him. They, they want this guy to succeed. They want him to be their shortstop for a long time. Now, speaking of the support of the – he has the support of the clubhouse. He has the support of the front office. Uh, do you have any ideas with the hate that we see from fans on <laughs> him? I mean, I, I, mean, I, I love personally, this guy. Yeah, yeah, I love him, and I, I can't defend him enough, but, I mean, he gets attacked from everywhere. He does, and it's it's pretty remarkable to me, too. And, I, look, I understand fans get frustrated, especially when a guy is making mistakes in the field or, you know, when he swings from his heels at pitches in the dirt and all that. But, you know, let's remember this guy is still, what, 24, going to 25 years old, I think. Um, and, yes, he has 20, 26. All right, you know. <laughs> um, you know, two, two seasons in the big leagues. Um, you know, I – I think it's too early to, to decide, hey, this is who this guy is going to be. Now, you're getting close to that point, and like we said, this is an important season for him, but um, the guy plays his heart out. He right. uh, takes a leadership role, even at a young age. Right, um, you, you, you hear about it all his the time. Yeah, um, you know, everyone loves playing with him, and, and he really is working on trying to improve these parts of his game that need improvement. So, um you know, he's a manager's dream. Everybody has always loved him, going all the way back to Frank Robinson, uh, who first had him, you know, when he was in the minor leagues and then big league spring training for the first time. So they want him to succeed, absolutely. One thing that I remember reading a lot about was that he was a bit of a slow developer in the minors, and it doesn't seem like much has changed when he went into the majors. And I, that's why I'm kind of wondering maybe 2012 is the year he puts it all together. And, Thoughts on that? Yeah, he was a slow developer. If you remember, you know, partly the problem was Jim Bowden and other people touting him as an 18-year-old as the next coming of Derek Jeter, and oh, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Frank and, and and Frank Robinson. I remember in '05 when you know Christian Guzman was hitting 170 or something, and they had no other shortstops. That Frank at one point said he was asked about Desmond, and he said. I'd be comfortable with him in the big league defensively at this point. And people took that to mean like, wow, this guy may be on the verge of something. And, you know, it was still another five years before we saw him. He had some injuries and he just had to work his way up and, and learn the game. Uh, he was a very raw player back then. And it took a while. Yeah. So yeah, there are guys who it doesn't just click immediately when you get to the big leagues. And, you know, you'd say two full seasons is about the amount of time, about a thousand at bats, you start to get an idea, but it's not the way for everyone. Um, you know, look at Michael Morse just finally taken off last right. year, uh, you know, even older. And Jason Wirtz was a late bloomer. There's a lot of them. So I, I, at, at their respective ages, I'd say Desmond is probably ahead of where those guys were. Uh, now, Mark, we have, uh, you know, Davey Johnson said there's three positions open on the Nationals. And one of those is the fifth starter. So, you know, we got Lannon, who's been a 200-inning guy, 
pretty consistent. Detweiler, who showed uh, signs of his potential at the last half of last season, and uh, Wong, who was pretty good when he was on the Yankees. Any ideas on who it's going to be? Yeah, well, you spelled it out pretty pretty well there. Um, I, you know, the problem here is that it's not just about who looks the best in spring training or um, you know who has the best track record or any of that. They're kind of they've kind of boxed themselves into a, a corner here because Wong and Detweiler don't have minor league options. You can't send them down. Landon does. Wong really doesn't profile well as a reliever, I don't think, because he, he takes a, it is a lot of routine and takes a long time to warm up. Uh, Detweiler has done some bullpen work, so that might make sense. So it, it sets itself up for Wong to be the number five starter, for Detweiler to be in the bullpen, and Landon to be the odd man out, whether that means a trade or actually sending him to AAA, which I still find pretty remarkable that they might send a guy who's making $5 million to AAA, but it is an option. They, they, they have discussed it, and they're open to that possibility. Um, the one thing to remember here, too, though, is that between now and opening day, a lot can happen. Pitchers get hurt. It just, it's a fact of life. And Wong, uh, just today, they, they uh, skipped him a day on his throwing session, not because there's anything wrong with him, but they're trying to take some precautions with him and space him out and give him a little more time in between when he throws. Um, Davey Johnson said he's actually going to make his first start of the spring in a simulated game in a controlled environment instead of against one of the big league opponents. So, you know, I'm not saying that's a red flag right there and he's automatically going to start the year on the DL, but that's certainly a possibility and some, something else can happen too. So I think this is a reason why Rizzo doesn't want to feel like he has to make a trade or make a move right now um, because the last thing you want to do is say trade Lannon and then find out the week before the season opens that, man, we need another starter. Yeah, speaking of things happening for the Nationals in spring training, every year there's been a guy that they've said is their guy. Going back to John Patterson, Sean Hill, Elijah Dukes, Niger Morgan, who all in spring training were, you know, before it started, they were the Nationals guy, and then they were gone before the season started. Is there a guy that might be that guy this year? Uh, there's a couple I've thought about this, and, and the 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 ones to look at in this case are those who were arbitration players, because um, those players, even though they may have a salary that's even over a million dollars, there's this obscure rule in baseball that if you release one of those players with, uh, I believe it's more than 15 days to go before opening day, you only have to pay them one-sixth of their yearly salary. You're not responsible for the rest of that. So that's how they got away with it with Patterson and Hill uh, and some of those guys. So uh, Chen, uh, Chen Ming Wong as a free agent wouldn't fall in that category, but John Lannon actually would. And then another name that I'm kind of keeping an eye on this spring is Tom Gorzolani, who is making $3 million. Uh, they acquired him last year in that trade, hoping he'd be a starter for them. He was okay, not great. At this point, they're really looking at him as a reliever, um, if you already have Detweiler potentially as a long man, do you really need Gorzolani, especially at that price, at $3 million? So that's a guy I'd, I'd keep an eye on, maybe as a trade candidate or even um, a guy who, if he didn't perform all that well this spring, you could potentially release at some point in March and not have to pay him his full salary. Huh. <clears throat> yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Yeah, I was thinking about what they would do with, I mean, two long relievers that are both lefties don't really make a lot of sense. 
Yeah, because, I mean, right now as it stands, you got three guys who are probably going to be in the bullpen uh, that are left-handed. you got Sean Burnett, you got Tom Gorzolani, and I really think that Wilder's going to be in the bullpen. I mean, that's just my opinion. But, I mean, you got three guys in the in the bullpen who are left-handed. Do you really need three left-handed bullpen guys? I mean, I guess it's nice, but is it common? Does I mean, do you need it? No, it's not all that common, especially when two of them are, in theory, long relievers. You know, right. I think Davey would prefer in an ideal world to have a right-handed long man, and that's where a guy like, say, Craig Stammen, who pitched pretty well in that role last year, um, you know, might make more sense ultimately in that spot. He did look really good at the end of last year. All right, so um going to gonna change directions on you here. Uh, spring training surprises. Um, anybody you think could uh, make a run at the opening day spot? Any invitees maybe that could uh, take a 25-man spot? Yeah, there are a couple possibilities. You know, it, it's far fewer of them this year than in the past just because so many spots are already locked up. You know, we've never had a spring where there were only three, you know, at most three spots uh, up for grabs. But with Mike Cameron retiring kind of out of the blue before camp opened, that did create one spot there on the bench that could be available. And that's where um, some of these veteran uh, minor league free agent guys that they signed, like um, uh, Carroll, like Jason Michaels, um, Xavier Paul, those types of guys, maybe Chad Tracy, that, that if one of them puts up pretty good numbers this spring, there could be a bench spot for one of them. So those would be guys I'd keep an eye on. Uh, and then another one who he doesn't get a lot of attention, and people barely even notice when they sign him, but uh, Andres Blanco was a uh, kind of utility infielder type that signed a minor league deal. He has big league experience with the Royals and the Rangers, actually, as their utility guy the last couple of years when they went to the World Series. Um, he's not somebody who can play every day, probably not, but he can play all the infield positions, and I really think that that last backup infielder spot comes down to him or Steve Lombardozzi. And if the Nats think that Lombardozzi is best served uh, playing every day at AAA, which is still a possibility, then Blanco's a guy who can make the club. I just realized there's a name we haven't brought up yet that a lot of people might be interested in. Bryce Harper. Is he going to be on the opening day roster? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I haven't heard of this guy. I, has he gotten any attention in camp so far? I, I'm not. I don't know who you're talking about. Um, yeah, he, he has. He has been the center of attention. Yeah, without question. I mean, every day people are paying, uh, keep an eye on him. And I thought it was kind of funny. Yesterday we were asking Davey Johnson about the reports he'd heard on him, and he said his coaches have kind of made a point not to mention him to Davey because they don't want to tout how great he looks and give Davey even more ammunition and reason to say, boy, he needs to make this team. Um, he, I, all I can say from just seeing him around the clubhouse and around the guys this year versus last year, he really looks like he belongs more this time. Just physically, he just looks bigger. Um, you know, Emotionally, mentally, he knows the other guys. They know him. I think he's done a good job so far of knowing what to say and when and how to conduct himself and all that. You know, and these are all the things that they're going to look at. I still think it's a long shot that he makes the opening day roster um, for a variety of reasons. I think they want, they prefer for him to play a little bit of time at AAA just because he didn't do it last year. Um, you know, he's still kind of raw in the outfield and maybe give him a little more time to work on that and less of a pressure situation. And then, and this is the big thing to me, if you keep him in the minors for only 21 days to start the season, 
you ensure that he can't become a free agent for another year down the road. And so if the choice is having a full year of Bryce Harper at age 25 and the trade-off is you lose him for one month at age 19, um, that to me is a no-brainer. I'm not saying that that is going to be the deciding factor for Rizzo and Davey Johnson because you know they may not be here in six years from now when he would be 25 years old and they want to win now. But from a long-term standpoint, it really makes a lot of sense just to wait a couple weeks you call them up yeah it does seem like uh i mean obviously i'm not down there but uh as far as things that i've read he's saying more of the right things this year uh he's he's going to close his mouth and just right. work hard and uh, see i mean especially seems to me even in the uh, since the past couple of weeks where he was uh you know kind of uh touting with fans that he wasn't a dc sports fan that i i really don't care if he's a dc sports fan or not but um, you know, kind of, kind of going back and forth with fans, and instead saying now that he's ready to just go to work and make the club, it, it, it I, speaks volumes. I, I have to admit, the big thing that I heard was when he said, "I'm going to keep my mouth shut." I was like, "Hey, he's learning." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he is. He, it, it, he, I think he is starting to get it. You know, um, he still wants to be him, and he's going to say things and that'll probably make people roll their eyes and. Um, you know, but we have to remember he's 19 years old and I was going to say everyone at at 19, I know I was kind of an, an idiot sometimes. So let's face (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. I I think we, I think we all were, but you know, most of us weren't trying to make a major league team at 19. So, and really that's the only difference. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I have the same physical build and good looks and all the money that he has. You know what I mean? I hope. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, you know, you know, but I think we have to try to remember that. And, and the other thing, you know, that I've noticed in my experience with him, he's not a bad guy at all. And anything that he has said that maybe gets him in trouble or does that gets him in a little bit any trouble, it's it's not intentional. You know, he, he, he always means, well, he's a really intense competitor. And sometimes that comes across maybe the wrong way on the field. But really, he wants to be out there, he, and he wants to help his team win. The, the reason he wants to be in the big leagues on opening day isn't just because uh, of believing that he is good enough to play, but he thinks he can help this team win right now, and he wants to be a part of that. You know, we have seen in the past couple of years or so, Hayward have an impact on the playoff race, and Posey had a major impact on the Giants. If Harper, when he comes up, what type of impact is he going to have on the Nationals' offense? Well, yeah, that's question and it's hard to really know um i think the team and i think everyone around him is is trying to keep the expectations low because again he's 19 and really if you look back at all the great players who came up at that age they did most of them did okay but not great a lot of them struggled uh a rod uh, griffey mickey mantle you know it a lot of them spent one their first year in the big league struggled some and then really took off at age 20 so that would probably be more likely to happen, but you never know. You never want to say never. And obviously this kid has always played at a level above his age. Um, One thing also to remember is that pretty much every step he's taken, he struggles the first few weeks, whether it was at college, uh, Arizona fall league, at single A and then double A. And then after a few weeks, he starts to get a little more comfortable and starts to understand what's going on there. And he takes off. So I think it's another reason why the Nats want to make sure whenever they do promote him that it's going to be for good because there's a decent chance that he's going to struggle early on. And what you don't want to have is everyone saying, man, we need to send him back down. Uh, they want to ride it out and let him 
figure it out at the big league level and start to hit and, and you know become that dominant player and not kind of screw up his progression by having him struggle for two weeks and then sending him back to AAA for a while. Sure, we we definitely don't want to screw up. I mean, we all know the athlete psyche uh, can be a little uh, a little fragile at that point. Well, Mark, I think we've taken uh, a good chunk of your time here. Hopefully, we can get you back on here in a couple weeks and uh, get an update from spring training. Sounds good. Thanks for all having right. me on. Thanks a lot. Have a good night, Mark. Okay, take care. All right, and we will be back in just a minute. Hang tight, guys. All right, and we're back. That was uh, that was Mark Zuckerman of CSN Washington. All Big right, so yeah, uh, definitely. Thanks for coming on, especially on our uh, our first go round here. So he uh, he brought up a good point with Harper. He's a uh, he's a slow starter. He uh, I mean, but he obviously always puts it together. Well, my question is, it's kind of a two parter with this here. First off. Would we rather his struggling come in April and then we get a, say, even mid-May or early June of, you know, what Harper actually is, say it takes him six to eight weeks to get it together and put it there? I think the only way Harper should be on the opening day major league roster Mm -hmm. is if the people in charge look at him and say, if we have this guy in the middle of our order, he guarantees a World Series appearance. That was the other half of my question here. What happens, uh, what kind of outcry is there if we send him down to AAA for, you know, six weeks, whatever it is, we have to keep him there. Then we bring him up, he does great, and we miss the playoffs by a game and a half. Uh, I mean, uh, the you're talking the baseball season. You're talking a marathon. Sure. You're talking there's at least, uh, I want to say at least five games a year that you should have won. And there's at least five games a year you should have lost. I mean, that's at least. With the Nationals, it tends to swing a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it, it, okay, so I agree that one player does have a big impact. And, I mean, it's just it, it's weird to think that, you know, you miss the game, the playoffs by one game, and oh well, it's all Rizzo's fault because he didn't call up Harper. I want to point this. Out. We just got our first uh, question in our um, in our chat room here. It's, it's all you talk about is Nationals. Uh, it is called Citizens of Madstown. Were, were, were you paying attention when you clicked on the link? Actually, actually, uh, oh yeah, uh, we didn't think there were enough uh, listeners, or I'm sorry, radio shows about the Redskins. So, how do you guys feel about Rex Grossman? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Well, <laughs> well played. Uh, I remember I was driving home from a hockey game last year, and mm. I turned on the post-game show. All right, they talked about the Capitals game that had just happened for about five minutes. They went right into the Redskins talk. But, that's the reason we're here. Is right. There's an audience out there that wants to hear about the Nationals. And th- there's there's something wrong when I'm listening to 106.7 the morning after Wilson Ramos gets kidnapped, 
and the sports junkies are like, and I, I kid you not, I remember this very well. One of them, I don't know who the hell they are because I hate them, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them said, he well, said, I guess we're not going to have the sports junkies. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, one of them said, hey, we, we'd be wrong if we didn't touch on this. Uh, Wilson Ramos was kidnapped last night, and uh, that's about all they said on it. Then they talked for 10 minutes about the Red Sox. Okay, give me a break. Yeah, it's 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 bad when in the morning drive time you can listen to either the boxer show or right. Elliot in the morning and get more Nationals or Capitals talk right. than you can get from one of six seven. Right. Things. Now speaking of radio coverage and everything, and not necessarily radio coverage, but uh, radio coverage brings me to our radio guy's his name is Blanky on me right now. Charlie Slows. Thank you. Oh, and Dave great Jagler. Charlie Slows. Dave, Dave Jagler. Jagler. That is who I'm... Oh, the guy followed up with another hey. track. Well, let's finish with Dave Jagler. We'll finish with Dave Jagler before we go yeah. to our uh, to our chat room guy. Anyways, so there was a lot of talk that, that Dave Jagler may be you know, creeping in on Bob Carpenter's spot. Ooh, really? Well, then we, oh, then yeah, we, then we refined. You know, I was really disappointed. I had to I had to attend some work uh, events during those what was it two games yeah. last year with Dave Jagler, and all I had the pleasure of was watching the replays on MLB.com, being like, "Oh, this is so much better." <laughs> and it was like two minutes. Give me a freaking break. Bob, <laughs> Bob Carpenter is one of the nicest guys you will ever meet in your life. If you ever have the chance to meet him and talk baseball with him, he is incredibly nice but but this guy in the chat room is cracking me oh man this guy's great but uh he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet but his his kind of i'm trying to think of a way to put this tactfully he seems so stiff okay like you listen to charlie slows for example call a walk-off home run by ryan zimmerman you don't forget that the next day you you listen to uh, um, um um wow this is how smart I am Carpenter Carpenter, <laughs> Carpenter call Ryan Zimmerman walk off home run you don't even jump out of your seat you know it's just not as exciting when he does he, he, I don't know what it is but I, I feel like we can do better I'm sorry <laughs> you know my biggest issue with Carpenter is he doesn't respect the baseball god yes yeah there's so many baseball <laughs> baseball is about superstitions and you know. You gotta respect the baseball gods. I just remember one game in particular back in, I think it was 2007. I don't remember the exact year, but I remember the game. The Nationals were ahead by five runs in Colorado, and they showed a shot of people dancing on whatever streets outside of of the ballpark. And and Bob Carpenter says, after the Nationals get the win here tonight, they'll be dancing in the street. Well, no. it proceeded uh, that – Baseball guys didn't like that. No, they didn't. No, Chad no. Cordero came in for the save, uh, gave up something like a single, a walk, a double, another single. They, then they brought in John Roush, who proceeded to have Matt Holliday oh, hit a walk-off against them. Well, you, you, remember, uh, you remember we were watching that game uh, in Chicago at a bar – you imagine what must have been going on? There was that game where the Nationals blew like four saves. Oh yeah, three and, saves. Yeah, it went yeah, into the thirteenth was... inning. Everybody went home, looked at the box score. Hey, we won! Yeah. <laughs> I got home. I was about to go to sleep. I turn it on. I say, "Oh, Clifford's in for the save. Home run. 
I'm going to sleep. <laughs> and you know who hit that home run in the ninth inning off of Storin? Uh, Mark Tien. <laughs> yes, now to this guy's question since we've talked all about Dave Jagler. All right. Strasburg, what do you think? He's pretty I mean, good. What, what do you think about Strasburg? Is, I mean, do you th- it's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, uh, the, man, the man makes love to pitching, let's face it. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I look at Strasburg, I mean, I I haven't been around. I'm not an old school scout or anything, but he has the best raw stuff. I've his. I just remember the curveballs that would that would make a a guy hit the dirt, and then they'd be a strike. I mean, uh, well, first off, we need to be uh, we need to be realistic here. 160 innings, and I don't think they're going past that. Regardless right, of what I agree. Happens, I agree. He's going to be shut down. They, they stuck to it pretty tight with Jordan Zimmer. Now, how are they going to do it? Because someone brought up I, Matt Latos. God, I hope they don't do what they did to Zimmerman last know, year. No, I, remember, I thought the same thing. Matt Latos, the sneeze. They, they, <laughs> they put him on the DL for 15 days before the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And that's, how, that's where they took the innings, from the middle of the season. Now, if you remember, the Padres missed the playoffs, but one game. Mm-hmm. And who were the World Series champions that year? The team that beat them out. Yep. So San Francisco Giants. There's another way, though. There's Didn't another he way. ding up his elbow? Or not his elbow, excuse me, his shoulder after that year. No. He was well, 200 yeah. years I, I, I thought he had a shoulder issue. No. I don't think he did. No. Uh, I, I no. don't think he had any problems. No. Okay. Never mind. Excuse <laughs> me. I remember him having some sort of a shoulder issue. Should I take Strasburg on my fantasy team? Well, Uh, we're not really a fantasy show here, but yes. (laughs) I would say that would be a good idea because, you know. I mean, I actually think it's a terrible idea. Just just because I feel like I have to be the one dissenting opinion here. (laughs) I mean, if if you get down and you can have uh, Verlander, King Felix, CC Sabathia, Tim Lincecum, and – and David Price, then maybe not. But if you don't get those five guys, you might want to take Strasburg. All right. So we've uh, we've talked about the rotation. We we had a nice interview with Mark Zuckerman here. Let's uh, let's kind of wrap this up a little bit. Let's get some final thoughts, <clears throat> and we'll start with uh, with Matt over here. Oh, okay. <laughs> What's Final up? thoughts. Final thoughts. Mm. I think, um, well, everybody's talking, you know, hey, this, you know, the Nationals or something this year. Um, Somebody actually picked us for the World Series. I saw that. <laughs> uh, it was Eric Burns, so he's hit his head quite a few times. Okay. Okay, well, fair enough. But but the, the, uh, the thing that I think is, like, if we just, if we have a winning record, we should be happy with that much, at least. You gotta, you gotta understand that. I mean, look at, and I, I hate to bring this up. No, everybody knows who my favorite guy is, Jordan Zimmerman. So you, you're talking about a guy who came back from Tommy John. He was pretty good. And who's another guy? The Orioles. They had a good pitcher. Matt, they did. Brian Wait. Mattis. <laughs> yeah. And he then he, he, he didn't come back. I don't know if he I, had Tommy John. What well, he did? didn't. I don't think he had Tommy John, but you know, he just he had a good year. Then the next year, he. I mean, we all know what happened to him last year, and that just kind of sucks. He does it, play for the Orioles, though. Well, that, yeah, it doesn't help. You know, <laughs> something about going to Baltimore, everybody just kind of disintegrates a little bit. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, you got one thing I do uh, concern myself with is 
do you see regression from anybody who had a good year last year? Do you see maybe, you know, a lot of people like to talk, oh, Gio Gonzalez is going to have a lot of trouble at Nationals Park, <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I, don't, I don't, Gio Gonzalez, I'm really not too concerned about. Now, with the regression at Nationals Park, people have made a big deal out of this. Right. We've had an. Uh, we, we've like had bad. Season. We've had yeah. We've had a lot of bad luck. Well, we've had enough seasons here that we can actually take ballpark data from it. Right. The the usual times five years. No. Um, and we're on. This is five now, correct? Two thousand eight. This is four. This is four. We're getting close enough that we can actually take ballpark data from it. Right. We're not all that different from Oakland. I mean, the space-wise, but how the park plays itself, well, here's a and, and, and not that, all that different. That's that's the weird thing. It, I, one thing I've noticed, it's humid outside. You got an offensive night. Yeah. That, that, that's almost reminiscent of uh, slightly, very, very slightly of Wrigley Field. What direction is the wind blowing today? Well, I mean, the weather affects baseball a lot. Right? I, mean, I don't know if you remember this. The game where you actually met me in person for the first time. It was the, the walk-off fielder's choice. Fielder made the wrong choice. Yes, it was a very <laughs> cold night. And I think I said, uh, I said, you know, there's not going to be a lot of hits tonight. And the Nationals did not drive in a single run With via hit. hit. Right, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, we won the game, what was it, the 10th? The 10th um, inning, yes. On a walk-off fielder's choice yes they won a three to two off, an extra a walk two. off fielder's choice i can't emphasize that enough fielder's <laughs> choice okay uh, how many i'm sure you see it at least once from somewhere over the course of the baseball season but i, I remember very well sitting there i think i was drunk in all honesty think, and thinking well this is weird think about some of the nationals walk-offs last year you had lance nicks the walk-off hit by pitch yes a <laughs> walk-off sack Fly. No, no, that was uh, that that, Johnny Gomes. That was Johnny Gomes' walk-off hit by pitch against. Oh yeah, Johnny yeah. Lance, Lance had the walk-off sack fly. fly the walk-off fielder's choice you mentioned. The walk-off wild pitch by Carlos Marmol. This, 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 well, that's that, no, that's completely different thing. I remember at one point the Nationals had eight walk-off wins, and that's when I stopped counting <laughs> in 2011. You remember we were talking about luck earlier and how it swings for the Nationals? Kind of swung in our favor last year. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's going to regress, I think it's going to be someone from the bullpen. And I would, you know, I hate to say it because I love the guy. He's probably Uh-oh. one of my favorite players on the Nationals. Oh, no, don't no. say 36. Tyler Clifford. Oh! oh! I think we all thought it, though. Yeah, I think everyone's thinking Because you look at 2009, Tyler Clifford came up. And we needed Tyler Clifford in 2009. <laughs> I love that kid from the middle right, right. stepped on our field. But in 2010, he had kind of an up-and-down year, mm-hmm. you know? And then 2011, he's like, eh, I'm too hardcore for that nonsense. Well, that's also the nature of relievers, if we think about it. Relievers are extremely volatile. Right. Which is why we never give multi-year deals to relievers, ever. Thank you, Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so... But I have to say, my I'm going to stick in the 30s. My, my space for regression is, uh, is number 38. I hate to say it, but he played out of his mind yes, last yes, year. Yes, yes, he did. Mr. Michael Morse. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I freely admit he hit a decent number of home runs in, the, uh, in, in spring training. 
And I honestly thought, I was like, that's not going to translate. Uh, I our, have to admit. Our chat room guy wants us to talk about the Yankees. And I think we should we should uh, mention the I Nationals feel, yes, yes. are playing the Yankees this year. And the Nationals have a winning record against the New Yankees. Correct, correct. To They're 4-2. and two. And one of those games was Chin-Ming Wong pitching eight <laughs> and two-third innings. Mm-hmm. And some rookie that no one had ever heard of in New York came up. Mm, yeah. I think I think everyone knows this moment. I think it's plastered on the back of Nationals Park <laughs> with, with you know with Marlon Bird hugging Ryan Zimmerman <laughs> and the Bat Boy jumping up in the air, the Bat Boy photo bombing the pitcher. You, you know what I remember? I remember in, in 2009 the measly Nationals. They strolled into brand new Yankee, Yankee Stadium, Stadium and. Uh, won two games against a team that would go on to win not only the World Series, but 100-and-something games in the regular season. Yes. they they 2009 was a terrible year for the Nationals. Yes, I don't want to yeah. remember 2009. Well, I, I mean, uh, uh, Josh Willingham had two grand slams. I mean, how do you want to forget that? In one game. In one game. There are very little highlights for that. There are moments every year. The only reason anybody watched the Nationals in 2009 was to watch Ryan Zimmerman. Let's face it. Yeah, 2009 was Zimmerman's best year. Ryan Zimmerman, uh, one fond memory there while we're talking about it was the walk-off home run against the pitcher formerly known as Leo Nunez. Yeah. What, what is his name now? Uh, Juan Carlos. Juan Carlos. I feel like that's something you get out of a really cheesy Hispanic mystery. <laughs> well, book. actually, you know, every time I think about it now, I think of Sons of Anarchy because it has yeah, with the, the uh, you know, the DA was coming in like, where is Juan Carlos? <laughs> <laughs> Juan Carlos. All right. So uh, now on to final thoughts, Mr. Mr. Dave Hazard. All right. I think we did a good job tonight. I think we represented the citizens of Nantstown well. <laughs> and, you know, in 2012, we hope that you vote – wait. What are, we're not running wait, 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 no, no, but, but if you want to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, if you want to buy a house, you should uh, go to my business site, www.supernovarealty.com. Oh, shameless, shameless. I mean, if you want to procure something from the... Uh, no, 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 we don't talk about that. <laughs> uh, if you want to catch a fugitive, that's only with the U.S. Uh, Marshal. Oh, uh, well, yeah. All right, so we are, we are bringing our inaugural podcast to a close. Um, no finishing thoughts here. Uh, I think we pretty much covered I all mean, bases, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah, some quite funny. So, uh, if you want to follow me, I am at Sultan underscore of underscore stat on Twitter. Um, well, mine's easy. Soda pop six five four eight. Mine, I just updated it today. I sadly destroyed because, the name yeah. I've used on the internet for ten years Can't now. Can't believe you did that. And now I am at David Hussard. Because that's awesome, by the way. All right, <laughs> ladies, gents, and citizens of Natstown, we will see you next Thursday, same time, same place. Have a good week.